And now we will get to continue to worship through a time in the Word and a time in prayer. And I ask that you would hear this morning's scripture reading from Romans chapter 8. And this, uh, this passage is particularly good considering the, the song that we just sung. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if, for, if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is God's word. Would you please join with me in prayer? Our God and our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning in, in prayer and in worship, knowing that you have done great things. You have cared for your, your church so well. But Lord, even as your word acknowledges, there are afflictions that we, we endure in this world. And some of them do not feel light or momentary. Some of them do not feel like they are imminently to pass away. And Lord, when we look about our lives, when we look about the experiences that we are going through, we... We shake our head and think, how can we get through these things? But we persevere through these trials and tribulations and persecutions knowing that our hope is not in this world. Our hope is not in the things of this world and even in the joys of this world. Our hope is in you. So Lord, as we endure the things that we endure in this world, let us keep our eyes ever fixed upon your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, there are many among us who have endured a variety of health difficulties. And Lord, we ask that you would have your hand of healing upon them, that you would bring them back to full health, and that you would do so to your glory. And if also for your glory you choose to allow these health difficulties to persist, we ask that we would Endure them with eyes and hearts turned towards you, that even in our suffering we might find you glorified. We think of our sister Linda, who has had some health struggles in the last week or so, and Lord, we do pray for rapid medical intervention, that any tests or anything that need to be done, that it would be done quickly and well. 
And for any of our other people who are experiencing these health difficulties, we ask for wisdom and direction for the medical staff that are working with them. Lord, we pray for our families. Families with young children, old children, and families in general, Lord, we just ask that you would help us to act as families that are patterned after your example in Scripture. And Lord, may we as a church family bolster these families up. May we as a church family step in and care for the families of our church. For those who are raising young children, Lord, you know how many times and how many ways we fail in a given week. As parents, we look back and we see so many ways where we could have done better. But we know we can commit our children to you. Knowing that we must be faithful as parents, but ultimately it is you who is faithful. It is you who will draw your children to yourself, who will redeem your saints. And for those who have family members who are lost, family members and friends who do not know you, Lord, it breaks our hearts to see friends and family wandering far from you, knowing what awaits them, but they're unwilling to hear it. But Lord, even if they are unwilling to hear it, may they hear it nonetheless from the lips of your people. May we continue to proclaim the gospel to our families, even if it seems to fall on deaf ears. Lord, that by a work of your Holy Spirit, one day maybe they, they hear, and all of a the sudden they hear it with new ears and with hearts made of flesh. May we continue to bear them up before you. You know, there are several within our congregation who are traveling in the next week or so, and we just ask that you would give them safe travels as they do. Bring them back here safely. Take them to their destinations safely. And Lord, that wherever you would take our people here, our extended families here, that they would bear forth the gospel and the truth that you have given them through your word. God, we pray for the people in this church, the people listening who run businesses. We ask that as they run their businesses in the communities in which they live, that they would do so in such a way that they display your glory even through their business. That they would operate with integrity and uprightness. And that you would give them opportunities to speak your truth even in those places. For our students that are in school right now or are going off to school soon, we just ask that you would teach them of your word, that they would hear and write those words upon their hearts, that they might know them and carry them with them wherever they go. And for our brothers and sisters who are working away, who can't be with us this morning in person, maybe they're tuning in online, maybe they're working wherever they are, we just ask that you would use your church to reach out to them, 
that they might still feel the touch and fellowship of their brothers and sisters here at Elk Point Baptist Church, that they might not feel alone wherever they're working. We pray the same for those who are ill or shut in and unable to join with us. May we come to those who cannot come to us, and that in your will that you would bring them back home, that we might worship together. Lord, we thank you for these things and for all of your blessings. We lift the service to you and ask that your word would be used by you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And speaking of God using his word, we get to, again, one of the most encouraging parts for me of our service. I'd like to invite our memory verse crew to come up. We have Mrs. Shepherd's class to give us our memory verse this morning. said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and the older shall serve the younger. Genesis 25-23. How incredible it is, the sovereignty of our God, that he would even ordain that the older would serve the younger, that he can order things how he would order things regardless of our human traditions, regardless of how we would normally do things, that God has the power and the ability to order our world as he would. It's my prayer that as we gather to worship this morning that we would be prepared to glorify God in our hearts as his word is brought to bear upon us, that we might be encouraged and equipped by his word. Recognizing that as we gather here this morning, it is our job to look into the word of God, to look and see what it is that he has to say to us. In our passage this morning, we're getting to the final piece of Paul's initial kind of outburst of praise to God in the opening of his letter to the saints in Ephesus. He's praised God for the adoption into God's family, this adoption accomplished by God's own sovereign choosing. He's worshiped God for the redemption from our sinful state that is found only in the blood of Jesus. And now here he ties it together. We've been adopted into the family, and our paths have been forgiven. But as we've discussed before, the gospel doesn't just reset us to zero. It doesn't just cancel our debts and leave us with a lifetime of trying to climb the ladder for the rest of our lives, trying to, to get to some level of righteousness that God will find acceptable. In Christ, we find our sins forgiven, and then we also find an incredible hope, an incredible inheritance. I love the last two verses that we sung from it as well. The incredible inheritance that awaits the saints. 
that one day we will find our sins are completely lifted, that we no longer do battle against the sin that has plagued us throughout our lives. And one day the clouds will be rolled back as a scroll and we will see with our own eyes the Savior that we have worshipped. Our hope is secured in our inheritance. Our passage this morning is Ephesians chapter 1. And we'll be in verses 11 to 14, but again, we will steal from Paul's preamble in verse 3. In 11 to 14, we'll start in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In Him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praises of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory." Praise God for that. Thank the Lord that he has done this, that he has given his word that we might know his great works and what he has done. I imagine in this room there's many of us that have at one point or another received some form of a, an inheritance here on this earth. I remember just before I graduated high school, my dear grandmother, Dorothy Bateman, which it still blows my mind that some of you have met my grandmother, Dorothy Bateman, when she ministered here with my grandfather in the 70s. But she passed away at 89 years old in 2008, and each of her 12 grandchildren received a small inheritance. And it was a, a strange thing for us because we we mourned the loss of our dear Grandma Bateman, and yet we greatly appreciated this gift that she had left us. It's not like she left this huge, incredible sum that was life-changing and altering, but it nonetheless reminded us of the love and care that she had displayed for us while she'd been alive. The Lord Jesus told his people that it was even better that he would leave them. These ones that had grown so attached to having literal Jesus, God the Son, walking at their side. And he said it was even better that he would go. That, to me, is just an amazing, like, to try and picture what would have been going through their heads. You've been walking with Jesus for the last how many years? And Jesus tells you he's got to go. He's leaving. He's going to die, and he's going to be taken back to his father. But that was a good thing because he was going to send something that was even, even greater for them. The father would send another, the Holy Spirit. This comforter, this counselor would do in their hearts what a good inheritance does in the hearts of its beneficiaries from a loved family member. This spirit would remind them and keep Christ ever before their eyes and hearts and minds. 
And praise God, that's what the Holy Spirit does. It turns our hearts towards Christ. The Holy Spirit bears Christ out before us and helps us to worship him and to worship him rightly. If we were to just start our passage in verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance. The first question that we'd be faced with is, well, who is him in this situation? Because it's a legitimate question because each member of the Godhead is represented somewhere in this passage. And each of them is obviously implicated in the inheritance we receive as believers. So through whom in particular do we receive this inheritance? And it's part of the reason why we keep coming back to that preamble in verse 3 and why when we read Scripture we need to take context into consideration. It helps us to make sense of what we read. In each of the blessings that Paul lists in verses 3 to 14, he makes clear that these blessings are given by the Father, but these blessings are only ever ours in Christ. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. All good things come from the Father above, and these are given to those who are found in his Son, Jesus Christ. As I'm thinking of finding these blessings in Christ, I was taken back to John chapter 15 where our, our Lord starts talking about this analogy of the vine. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that he may bear even more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. It's important for us that we see clearly our salvation and the inheritance that we have, the glory that we know is coming for those who have trusted in Christ, that all of that is found in Christ and in Christ alone. He is the true vine. Christ says a branch can only bear fruit if it is found in the vine. And if a branch doesn't want to be plucked off and thrown to the side to be burned, that it must be sustained by that main vine. To be in Christ is to depend on him totally for our spiritual nourishment. He calls the Father the vine dresser the one who is 
He's established the plant. He gives the blessing, but those blessings depend entirely on our connection to the true vine. A branch cannot kind of work around and say, you know what, I'm going to dodge the true vine here and go straight to the vine dresser for my, my strength and my nourishment. It depends entirely upon its connection to the vine. As the vine dresser gives fertilization and water and all of that kind of good things to the vine, the branches only receive those benefits through the vine. And the branch has no hope to bear fruit on its own if it is separated from the vine. So are we in Christ. We have no hope of bearing fruit. We have no hope of a future or an inheritance apart from Christ. And our world will do everything it can to help us try and find another way to, to God, to whatever the higher power spirit is. Just go straight to the source and get, get whatever divine blessings you want there, and you don't have to worry about the Bible and its commandments and Jesus and all that kind of stuff. Just go, go a different way. But there is no hope for the bearing of fruit outside of Christ. But back to this idea of an inheritance. I find it interesting that in our society, the, the details of a person's last will and testament, which among other things details the distribution of any inheritance, in our culture it is an incredibly private thing. Usually there are precious few people who know any of the details of the inheritance and of who gets what, if anything. Oftentimes it's only the, the lawyer or legal official who puts the will together and the person themselves. And no one knows anything until the executor of that will says, okay, this is what the will says. This is who gets what, this is what happens. But in our passage, we have the exact opposite. There are no questions left as to the inheritance to be received by the saints. There's no question as to who or what. And there's also no being cut from the will. There's no, well... You annoyed me, so you're out, you're in, shifting. Our inheritance is found entirely in Christ. And it is based entirely upon having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. One of the incredibly hard things that we will wrestle with time and time again is our own salvation. Are we saved? And our enemy is great at poking that stick, going, yeah, you go to church, yeah, you've confessed, but are you actually saved? You did X, Y, Z. The inheritance of the saints, salvation from our sins, the future glory and eternal hope that we have, the eternal future in the new heavens and the new earth with God. These are things that 
even the pagans of our world want, a good eternal future. It sounds great. How can we know that we're not just some pagan who wants an eternal hope in the future? How can we know if they're going to be ours or not? And ultimately, we can take great comfort in the truth that our salvation is not based on human will or human emotion. And it's not based on our own ability to manufacture some form of human righteousness. In Christ, the saints, those who are faithful in Christ, haven't obtained inheritance. That inheritance is according to the sovereign predestined work in the will and purpose of our God, not in something we can drum up. And that is incredibly good news because I cannot save myself. I cannot drum up something of my own to deserve salvation. I can look and go, that is dependent entirely upon Christ. I don't need to play that game. I can just trust in Christ and rest in the fact that I know my God. I know he is good. And I know that in my own heart, I have confessed that Christ is Lord. According to Paul, the result of this will and purpose of our God is that those who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. These first to hope might be an odd phrase that when we first look at it, but it, the first to hope is just simply the Jews. God's chosen nation called out from among the world his, as his special people. In Romans 1, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first. Because the Jewish people were the ones that God has called out and revealed himself to first, but then it is also to the Greek. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. God revealed himself first to the Jews and then to the praise of his glory. He brought us Gentiles into the fold as well. Righteousness of God through faith for all who believe, there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. What an amazing God we serve. That he would sovereignly, sovereignly draw his people by his own amazing grace to himself by a work of his divine will. That he would call his people out. And all of this to the praise of his glory. verse 13 of our passage. In him, him again being Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, 
who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This inheritance that we're promised is beyond anything that we can, we can even begin to conceive. And it is guaranteed by the sovereign work of Jan and not by any action that we do to earn it. Anyone who's heard me talk much would have heard me quote Romans 10.9 that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. In order to do this, in order to rightly confess the truth of the gospel, we are told that the gospel must first be preached. By the grace of God, we hear the word of truth, is what our passage says, this gospel, and we believe. And it highlights for us, again, the, the importance of evangelism in God's plan and purpose. Again, God could just zap everyone into salvation, but by his own will, for his own purpose, for his glory, he is determined to use us people in his plan of salvation. But the next element is God doesn't just leave us here. He doesn't just save us and leave us in a world that is utterly hostile to him. I mean, we take a look at our own selves, our own bodies, our own hearts, our own souls, and the vestiges of our old selves that are still so hostile to God exist within us. We live in an environment that is utterly against God. And none of this would lead to a settled confidence or hope in the future that God had promised us. If we were to confess Christ as Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead and that was the end of it and God said, okay, see you on the other side, I think it would be very difficult for any of us to get to the end of our life still confessing Christ. Because this world, our own selves, are just so utterly hostile to God. We need something more. We are not enough to persist in the faith. But God has given us something more. I think all of us are familiar one way or another with this concept of kind of a sign of membership in an organization. There's all manner of symbols that we use. Ever since I've heard of the tradition of the Canadian engineer's iron ring, I've been kind of fascinated by it. If you haven't heard of the iron ring, it's a ring worn by many Canadian trained engineers, and it's a symbol and a reminder of their obligations and ethics for their profession. It's presented to these engineering graduates at the end of their schooling in this private ceremony that they call the ritual of the calling of an engineer. And they are given this ring, and it symbolizes the pride that these engineers have in their profession and reminds them of their humility and also reminds them of their obligation to live to a high standard of professional conduct. This ring that they carry with them becomes a prized possession for many engineers, and they, whenever they look at this ring, 
are reminded of something about their profession. Whenever they kind of feel it on their hand, they're reminded of their commitment to what they do. Maybe a little bit more familiar than the iron ring. Many of us wear wedding rings that accomplishes similar thing. A sign and a seal of what we believe and a reminder of our commitment and calling to our spouse. As a culmination of Paul's whole discourse so far, that if we are called, then God will redeem us. And if we have been called and redeemed, then he will give us an inheritance. Okay, that's great. But if we have an inheritance waiting for us and we aren't given any way of getting from now until when we receive that inheritance, it's going to be a long, however long it is. Our inheritance for right now, most of it is held, held in trust, kept safe until at the end of our lives or at the return of Jesus Christ, we receive the fullness of our inheritance. God gives us his Holy Spirit as a seal and a guarantee of our inheritance. In the past, a dignitary that was traveling with the king's seal was to be afforded the same respect as if he were the, the king himself. A letter bearing the imprint of the king's seal was as good as a letter written by the hand of the king. And the Holy Spirit given to believers identifies the saints as being the king's people. In more than just name, we carry the seal of the king with us wherever we go. We have been given this Holy Spirit. The Spirit is to be treated as a great gift only for those who are the King's people and bear His name. But before we get on the wrong track here, the Holy Spirit is not the force. The Holy Spirit is not just some ethereal it that exists in the world around us and a ring to be worn, something to be carried with us. Just as God himself, God the Son, came to live among his people, God himself, the Holy Spirit, comes to live within his people. He testifies not just passively. If I'm walking around and existing in my day-to-day -day life, I have a ring on that testifies passively of the fact that I'm married. An engineer has a ring on that testifies passively, okay, that's, that's an engineer. But the Holy Spirit does not testify passively as to who we are. The Holy Spirit actively testifies the truth of who the believer is, that he or she is a true child of the King. I mean, last week we talked about the sanctity of human life. And one of that great passages that we were into was 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, which says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. The Holy Spirit is called a helper, an advocate, and he has been given to those who have, found, have been found in Christ for their salvation. But if the Holy Spirit is given to believers as a seal, 
as a noticeable display and down payment of the inheritance we have of the salvation we've been granted, how can we expect the Holy Spirit to reveal himself in our lives? The nice thing about wearing a ring is I don't have to do much with it. It's there, and as long as it's on my finger, it's a passive testament of my commitment. But we don't have a passive Holy Spirit upon our lives that just by existing, people would know that we're Christians. I have not seen too many people wandering around with doves descending on them from the heavens. I have not seen too many people walking around with tongues of fire over their heads, symbolizing the Holy Spirit. God does not mark his people in that way. But God has still made it clear how we may notice those who have been given the Spirit as a seal of their salvation. It's written all over Scripture, and particularly in the New Testament. In John 14, 26, Jesus says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. When we're looking for how the Holy Spirit can be expected to reveal himself in the life of the believer, we can look for a person who is aware of the Word of God and how to apply it to life. And that doesn't mean that upon salvation we immediately get a full download of whatever the most accurate copy is of the Word of God, and we have the entire Word of God written in our hearts and our minds, and we know everything about the Bible, and we can take it and apply it to every part of life and faith and existence. Wouldn't that be nice? But by God's grace, he has given us the ability to, again, be involved in what he does. He saves us. He gives us this seal, and the Holy Spirit is going to bring to mind what Christ has said, but for those who were there when Christ was speaking, they had to be listening to what Jesus was saying. And if the Holy Spirit is going to be bringing to our minds what God has said, we have to be listening. So we get to be involved because God has given us his word. And if we are reading his word, if we know what his word said, then it is incredible how the Holy Spirit will use that. Even if you don't have it memorized word perfect and can tell me exactly which page of your Bible this passage is on, it is incredible to me when I see a person who remembers and understands the Word of God, who is able to call to mind God's truth when it is needed. That is an incredible evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. Do we wonder if we have this Holy Spirit? Do we find that when we are in the midst of things, we can think of scriptures that go, that fits here? How many times have we read a passage of scripture and then days, weeks, months later, we remember that scripture and just kind of comes to our mind out of the blue, be like, man, this fits here. That is the Holy Spirit, be like, remember what Jesus said? in his word, and he will bring that to mind as long as we have also been faithful in knowing the word. 
the good evidence of the Spirit's work. Another sign of the work of the Spirit is what we call the fruits of the Spirit. From Galatians 5, you might have memorized the list in different order, but we have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there are no law. And none of us, not even the most mature of saints, display all of these fruit in full measure at all times. But the life of a believer is to be a life marked by these things. We, if we are counted among the faithful in Christ, ought to be growing in these things, displaying these fruits in increasing measure as God has given them to us. The Spirit also gives various gifts designed for the benefit and building up of the church, the strengthening of fellow believers. I'm not going to go through the several different lists of gifts of the Spirit, various ways that God would build up His church. But whether it's the fruits of the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit, if we wonder if we have been chosen, if we have received that seal of the inheritance, that promise from God that we have an inheritance waiting for us, first we need to examine, have we made a credible profession of faith? Have we confessed with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord? Do we actually believe what we say we believe? And that's something that is beyond my ability to assess. I can take a look at your life, and you can say out loud, this is what I believe. You can say all the right things. But we know that saying all the right things doesn't do anything. All of us have seen people that come to a church forever. They're baptized in a church. They do all the right things. And then one day, all of a sudden, God is in their past and they are off on their own doing their own thing. I can't say whether or not you have confessed and believe in your heart. But you can. You can look and say, did I truly believe? Do I truly believe? And if we do truly believe, then we would be wise to look for evidence of the Spirit's work in our lives. Are we growing in the gifts and the fruits of the Spirit? Is the Spirit calling to mind the, the words of God that we have written upon our hearts by, by our time in the Word? And we are not going to go around our lives living as utter paragons of righteousness and faithfulness, just ripe with scriptural insight, just ready to fire off a scripture memory verse at anything that happens in our lives. We will not have every gift and every fruit of the Spirit displayed in full measure at all times. But even in infant stages... Are we growing in righteousness? Do we begin to notice moments where we can see the Holy Spirit applying Scripture to our hearts and our lives? When someone's talking to us about something they're struggling, do we have moments where like, there's a Bible verse there for that and we remember it? Do we see ourselves growing in love, 
growing in joy, growing in peace, growing in patience. I'm a parent of four kids with another one on the way. I definitely need to grow in patience. There are many days where I do not have patience. But I desire to have more. And I see flashes where I can see that patience growing, where I grow in all of these fruits of the Spirit. And like I said, it won't be perfect, and we will have days where we have no patience with anything. And for those days, we need to confess and say, I was wrong, I was sinful, I got angry when I shouldn't have, I did not have the self-control I ought to have had, and then, by God's grace, get back on the horse and continue displaying the patience that are, and the fruits in general, that are meant to be indicative of who we are in Christ. And lest we forget the reasoning behind God's blessings, thinking of Paul's whole list here, that, he, that God has chosen his people, called them out from a world that hates him, that he has redeemed his people, saving them by the blood of Jesus, that he has given his people an inheritance and sealed that in- inheritance that they might have confidence and a hope and a future. We don't want to forget why God does these things. And it's repeated twice in our passage this morning. First to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. God has saved his people, the Jews first. He saved them to the praise of his glory. And then you also, the Gentiles, when you heard the gospel, it came into your life, you received it, you believed it, and he has done that to the praise of his glory. Paul started this section saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Paul's aim and his purpose in what he brings in this passage is to glorify God. It's to turn hearts towards God in praise. And what better place for us to start than the start of our walk of faith? We want to be reminded to praise God. Think of that situation that made you believe in him in the first place. There's a reason why in Song of Solomon, when Solomon's talking about his, his lover from to remember the wife of your youth, to take pleasure in the wife of your youth, when things go wrong in a marriage relationship, you can think back and go, right now, I don't like this person either myself or this other person. But I fell in love with them for a reason, and this is why. And in our own lives, when it comes to our trust in Christ, sometimes there's going to be things that happen in our lives where we can't rationalize it. We can't say, I understand why this is happening. But we can call back to the God that I trust in him for a reason. I believe in him for a reason. He has shown himself faithful over how long and in how many situations. Paul writing the Ephesians, us reading this letter to the Ephesians, let us glorify God. And what is the greatest reason we have to celebrate him? 
that he has revealed himself to us and that he has called us out. That he has called us to himself. He has redeemed us and given us an inheritance with the rest of the saints, sealed and guaranteed by his own Holy Spirit. Praise God and praise his glorious name that he would even think of us. We say along with the psalmist from Psalm 8, when I look at your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and all the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? I take a look at what God has done in my life, in creation, and go, how could God think of me when there is how many billion other people, billion other people that might be the better choice by worldly standards, when there is an entire creation, an entire universe for him to look after, who am I that God would know me? And the answer to that, I am chosen by God. Who are you that God would be mindful of you? If you have confessed Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have received that seal of the Holy Spirit, God has been mindful of you because he has chosen you. He has called you out from among a world that hates him and called you to himself that you would know him. So take comfort in that. Don't agonize over the question marks in your life, the failures in your life. Confess them and continue in faith. Don't agonize over the pains and the difficulties and the mistakes of your past where you look and go, I did so many things wrong. Yes, you did. Yes, I have. Confess them and continue in faith and learn from them and take what God has taught you through those things and make sure that you do everything you can to set those things right and continue in faith. I hope each of us can find the glory of God in this. We all can come out of this passage just beaming with gratitude to our God for his faithfulness to his people. And I hope that if there are those who are either here or joining with us online that don't yet know these blessings, that don't yet have the assurance of faith and salvation that comes from a life lived in accordance with God's word that comes from faith in Christ that is found only in Christ. If there are any but that don't know that, that they would receive that inheritance that gives, God gives to his people. And that we as a church family might celebrate together all to the praise of his glory. As the worship team has a closing song for us, I invite them to come forward. And may we as God's people be incredibly grateful for the work that has been done on our behalf for the glory of God. Would you come with me to our Lord in prayer? Heavenly Father, we have no reason on our own to claim your salvation. 
We have not earned it. We can't deserve it. We can't pull it out ourselves. You do not owe us anything. We owe you everything. A debt that we can never pay. And yet you have given us your son, Jesus Christ. That he would live the life that we were supposed to live. That he would die the death that we deserve. That he would be raised back to life on the third day and glorified to your right hand. That he might send the promised Holy Spirit to seal the inheritance that you have given to the people who would believe in Christ. God, may we grow in the signs and the blessings of the Holy Spirit. May we display the fruit of those who have trusted in you. And when we don't, when we fail, may we confess our sin to you. And may we call upon you to set us right, set us straight, and continue to sustain and bear us forward in our lives. May we grow in the fruits of the Spirit. May we be marked by the work of the Spirit. Lord, you've allowed us to be parts of what you are doing. We get to be a part of other people coming to know you when we confess you before the world. Help us to be ready to do that and help us to be joyful in doing that, sharing you with those who do not yet know you. You've allowed us to be a part of what you're doing in giving us your word and telling us to know it. May we become people who are dedicated to knowing your truth, to reading your word and understanding it rightly, that we can apply it to our own lives and even share it with one another, that we might give one another good counsel that comes from the only source of truth in this world. God, you are good. And we give you all honor and glory and praise to the praise of your glorious grace for the salvation that you have brought to bear upon your people and for the inheritance that we look forward to. And from this day until the day we receive that inheritance in full, may we live as ones who have been ransomed. May we live as ones who have been bought with a price and who have a great hope and a great future in Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.